Hello and welcome to the Inside Social Work podcast, a podcast that aims to inspire, engage and connect social workers with other social workers and allied health professionals doing interesting and amazing things across the world. I'm your host, Marie Vakakis. Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed today's podcast episode. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Inside Social Work podcast. Over the next few weeks, I have a special guest with me, Lachlan Slade, and we're going to be doing a series on working with LGBTQIA+, talking about gender and sexuality, and a whole lot of different stuff relevant to mental health, service provision, and working with families. In this episode today, we're talking about language, not so much the 101s, but some of the things that you can do around the language you use with individuals, with communities, and what to do if you get it wrong. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Lachlan Slade. Welcome back to another episode of the Inside Social Work podcast. I'm here with long-term podcast fan absolutely uh, and return guest Lachlan Slade uh, Lachlan and I have been talking over um, a little while around gender inclusive practice and all things gender and sexuality and so over the next few weeks I'm handing over the mic to Lachlan and we're doing a series on a lot of different topics around gender and sexuality so welcome back Lachlan. Thank you so much I'm really glad to be part of this. It's been a little while since we had you. Yeah I think it was late last year or sometime last year anyway wasn't it? It might have been I'll have to yeah. put a link to that in the show notes where you can hear a bit more about Lachlan's journey. Absolutely. Um, just to introduce yourself to the the listeners can you tell mm. us a bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah, certainly. I'm, yeah, Lachlan Slade. My pronouns are they and he. I um, own and operate, I suppose, Slade Consulting, uh, which is a uh, my private practice um, social mental health social work education consulting business. Um, operate that uh, from my home on Yorta Yorta country up near Kanikupna or Shepparton. Um, and I've been running that for oh, coming up to 18 months or so now. Um, and yeah, have been working in the mental health social work space for around about 12 years now um, in a bunch of different spaces with LGBTIQ A plus and trauma work. And you're an accredited mental health social worker? Yeah, certainly am. Um, you run group supervision? Certainly do, um, absolutely. And a whole bunch of other stuff which we'll let listeners mm. know of at do. the end. Uh, we started off um, planning our kind of series over the next few weeks with wanting to maybe talk a bit about language. So can mm. you let listeners know when it comes to LGBTQIA plus mm. language and acronyms? Yeah. Yeah. What's a bit of the 101? Absolutely. I think the first thing um, that I'll always talk to about people is that it's not necessarily about getting it 100% right or trying to get the letters in that exact order or anything like that, that I think it's normal and expected to go LGQRG plus and that sort of thing, that that's completely okay. I think 
it, a lot of it does come down to intention and your how you're showing up in the space. That if you're coming up, coming into the space from a genuine place of wanting to respect and work positively and constructively with queer people. Um, the language that you use um, will usually flow from that, but we'll, we'll get into some of the nuances of that, of course. So certainly spoke about the acronym there, that, you know, generally we talk about it being LGBTIQA+, um, and there's a bunch of different reasons why it's in that order. Um, but I think the plus at the end is to recognise the fact that, um, you know, within that, that acronym, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, intersex, queer and asexual, that covers quite a lot of ground in terms of sex, gender and sexuality, but not everything. Um, for me, I will very often use the term queer interchangeably with LGBTIQA+. That's particularly historically a very political sort of space because um, I think, you know, for, for most people who are millennials plus, um, they'll recognise that, um, yeah, the word queer has usually very negative connotations, mm. at least how it has been. And it's a term that's been very much reclaimed by LGBTIQA plus communities, but not for everybody. Um, there's still a lot of LGBTIQA plus people, usually people who are older or in rural communities who prefer not to use the term queer. But for a lot of people, they will say they are queer. And for them, that identifies the fact that their sexuality, their gender, isn't necessarily something that can be so boiled down to um, just who they're attracted to, just their gender, that it's, it's about a bit more than that. And for myself, I'll use genderqueer to describe myself because that describes me a little bit more than, say, you know, NB or non-binary would, um, for example, yeah. There's a lot there for people. Yes. Um, if they do want to know more about what each of those different words mean, mm. where can they go or is there, you know, mm. can we explain a little bit around even gender and sexuality and the difference and... Yes. You absolutely. know, you hear words like we've been talking um, a bit before recording around um, all different things around internalised homophobia and, and transphobia, and we'll talk about that in other episodes, but even what some of those words mean. Yes, absolutely. So there's quite a few different resources out there. Um, Victorian government has some great um, resources. Um, my website has some resources as well, um, which is sladeconsulting.services. Um, and yeah, there's, I suppose, a lot of different fact sheets on, you know, the, um, you know, what, what all these uh, words mean. But um, I think to, to unpack a few of these terms, I think um, we're looking at three distinct areas of a, a person and their, their being. Um, those areas are sexuality, gender and sex. <laughs> Um, to unpack that a little bit, um, I think sexuality is something that we are much more familiar with um, and I won't go into great detail about that because most of us know that, that we know um, that generally a lesbian is a woman who's attracted to women um, or femininity and a gay person is usually um, a man who is attracted to, um, to other men or masculinity, um, but the term gay can be 
uh, used by women as well. Um, bisexual and pansexual is another um, mostly synonymous word for bisexual, um, is people who are attracted to people not because of their gender or their sex, but because of their their humanness. Um, and that's, I suppose, what we look at when we talk about sexuality and asexuality is certainly another um, element of that where there's some level of um, not being attracted sexually or romantically to, um, to people at all. Um, but sometimes there'll be you know, a, an attraction under certain circumstances when somebody really, when you get to really, really know somebody, for example. Um, in terms of gender, um, to unpack that, um, <clears throat> we, I suppose we're, we're very used to looking at gender in a very binary sort of way that we, we've all been, um, we've all been raised to think of gender as male and female and that there's a whole host of, um, you know, different stereotypes and different role expectations that we have within gender that, you know, boys must play with cars and girls must play with dolls and these sorts of things. And these um, gendered expectations um, and that our gendered expectations are congruent to our sex that, and to get, I suppose, anatomically graphic, um, that, you know, somebody born with a penis must play with cars, for example, and they'll be called a boy. Um, these are taught at a very young age, and, you know, we've all seen gender reveal parties and possibly held one or gone to one, and it's, you know, we have a lot of, um, a lot of our culture, I suppose, speaking from a Western culture perspective, um, we have many rituals around that as well. So for for trans people um quite often um you know male to female female to male or assigned female at birth and assigned male at birth people they will be born into one gender uh, one body and as they grow up sometimes through puberty sometimes you know from the moment they're born they will recognize that when i look down when i'm put into these roles that feels completely wrong to me. And being transgender means that you're um, transitioning to, quite often, but not exclusively, to another binary gender. So you're assigned female, you're transitioning to be seen, heard, experienced as a male. Um, and of course, there's a lot of non-binary people, genderqueer people like myself, who recognise that gender is a construct. and you know, we, we know that, you know, particularly for, for women, if there is such a thing as female privilege, um, this is possibly it, that for a lot of cisgender females, um, they will be able to express their gender in more, uh, in a broader way than cisgender men, for example. Um, is that in terms of, like, say, fashion? Like, yes. you could, I could more easily wear, or well, I am wearing pants, Yes, but it might not seem as comfortable for yourself to wear a skirt. Correct. Is that, I could have long hair yes. or short hair or be sporty. That's it. And it might not necessarily mean someone questions my gender or my yes. sexuality sometimes. Yes. Perhaps if you look a certain way, exactly. it might um, mean that someone stereotypically thinks, yes. oh, they might be yes. gay. 
Yes. Um, is that what you're talking about around has that privilege mm. to play with maybe fashion? Absolutely. Absolutely, yes. That, um, yeah, yeah, women are able to wear pants. Men are not so able to wear a skirt without their gender, their sexuality mm. being questioned. Yeah. Definitely. Well, and, and that's interesting because it's mm. only in some settings too, right? Yes. Like, yeah. I, I've never been to a formal occasion where yeah. a, a bride is wearing a pantsuit or yes. um, instead of a ball gown, it's a yes. like suit. Like there Absolutely. is still expectations of femininity. Definitely. Being appropriate for certain settings. That's it. That's it. And, yeah, um, you know, dead balls are very big up um, in, in rural Victoria, for example. And again, very gendered sorts of roles. And... I think it's also important to recognise that these things change over time and place and, you know, the gendered roles here in, you know, 2022 mm. in Australia are different to the roles in another country in another time and, you know, uh, even your culture of origin, that mm. changes as well. We'll talk about this in another episode around representation, but as you're mm. saying that, have you seen um, mm. the TV show Sex Education? No, I haven't actually. What? I need, okay, I we, ha we should stop this right now. <laughs> you should go watch it. But there's one character, Ola, who wears a pantsuit to her formal. Yes, she yes. does explore um, her sexuality throughout the seasons. But, mm. you know, I think if I had seen something like that as a teen, yes. it would have given me an option. Yeah. Like, I was maybe more of a tomboy and I hated that my school uniform didn't have a pants option. Yes. Um, and that's Absolutely. very limiting in terms of, well, you can't play soccer or football. Like, if you've got a pleated skirt, Absolutely. there's an expectation of what you do at recess and lunch. Yes, absolutely. Um, but I think, you know, to have had the courage back then to come up with the idea of not wearing a yeah. dress to a formal event absolutely. would have been seen as you're stirring trouble. Exactly, exactly. Um, so it's, it's interesting. Yes, absolutely. So mm. I think what maybe confuses some people is sex, gender, and then expression. Yes. yes. Sex is the physical characteristics. Absolutely. Um, and those yep. sexual characteristics. Yes. Gender is how you identify. Yep, yep. For some people, maybe, mm. maybe a large majority, the sex, the gender assigned at birth match their sex. Yep. Absolutely. And then you're talking about some people's expression of that as well. So you yes. can be born female, mm. identify yes. as female, yes. and then play around with feminine and masculine qualities. Correct. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, it's fascinating for me as well that I, um, and you know, for context, I'm, I'm here in jeans and, and, um, and shoes and whatnot, and also a... And odd socks, I see. Yes, indeed. I cannot, cannot cope with odd socks. <laughs> this is a I, very I've been Lachlan looking thing. at them all day. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's, it's um Are they it's matching at all by being odd? Like, have you got, yes. like, turtles and, like, seaweed or no, what? they're both turtles. They're both turtles, okay. Yes, that's okay. Yeah, um, just different coloured turtles. That's, I can handle that. Same length. If it were a different length, I could definitely not cope with that. There is it's, an <laughs> odd socks day coming up. Uh, or it's already passed, depending yes. on when we release this episode. Yeah, and I, I know there's a crazy socks for docs yep. day as well. It's yeah, there's um lots yeah. around socks. That's it. But yeah, you were saying yes. around your gender expression yeah, in yes. clothing. Um, so um yeah, here in a purple and yellow, um, kind of furry, quite feminine, at least feminine-ish jumper, and I, I often wonder if 
Um, if maleness, if masculinity were much less rigid, had much broader boundaries, maybe I would be fitting into what could be considered a man in today's society. Um, and look, there's many existential questions and, and wormholes I could go down uh, on that, but mm. that, we'll save that for another podcast. But um, I, yeah, for me, being in this space, being in this culture, being in this time, genderqueer is, is where I'm at. But um, mm. yeah, I think that's sometimes a good example. Yeah, yeah and we were talking about that off air around... Um, like I say, off air, like it's a really professional I kind know. of radio show. <laughs> Prior to recording, um, <laughs> that because we have such binary terms, mm. we've needed to come up with new ones. And we we're Absolutely. using the example in different cultures around mental ill health, mental yes. illness, or disability. There are some words that don't exist in other languages That's because they're socially constructed concepts. Yes. So, you know, I think of even something like complex grief that got introduced into the DSM. Yes. In another culture, it might just be grief and that might be a very reasonable response to losing someone you care about or um, depression might not exist. It might be conceptualized as as loneliness or, you know, so there are languages socially constructed and then... We need to find new ways to yes. express where we feel we belong. Exactly, exactly. And language evolves over time. And um, and you're right that, and, and even in the gender, sexuality, and sex space, there are countless cultures across the world that time in memoriam and, and you know a number of First Nations cultures around um, the continent we call Australia now. Um, have space for what we would consider now trans or gender diverse mm. people. Um, up on Yolonga country, um, around Arnhem Land, um, there's a, a very specific space for sister girls and brother boys, um, which you know are, are trans people um, through through Western eyes at least. Um, in India, there's the Hydra who are non-binary people, and there's you know these are words that have existed for centuries, sometimes millennia. Mm. Um, Western society is only just coming to the party on this, um, and there's a number of things that have instilled that, um, you know, including um, patriarchy and colonialism mm. that have yeah put that in place. As you say that, I had the thought, which I wonder mm. if it's. I'm curious to hear your thoughts, but mm-hmm. yes, the language has existed, but doesn't mm. mean those people were always treated well. Correct. So there, there was words to describe someone's experience or yes. presentation, yes. but throughout history, they might have faced intense uh, scrutiny or criminalization, yes. punishment, Absolutely. you know, all sorts of things based on yes. um, beliefs at the time or um, political persecution that they would have. There was words for them, so yeah, absolutely. Th- these varieties existed. Yes. These varieties of human, pr- yes. everything. Absolutely. Um, but they weren't. Doesn't mean people treated well. Exactly. Exactly. And I think yeah, in in social work, we we often look at how yeah language can build people up or bring people down, and it's yeah that's precisely it, and it's interesting looking at the constructs that build people up Mm. and build people down and you know sometimes it's colonialism sometimes it's patriarchy or both or 
and sometimes there's other factors as well and I think too sometimes there can be um, you know an exceptionalism that will come with that as well um, that you know a lot of non-binary or trans people will hold spiritual spaces um, in different cultures and of course I can't know enough about these cultures coming mm. from a white culture but um, you know for some that may be um, you know hemming people into a, another um, construct as well and I just was thinking like I, I was saying varieties like it's heirloom tomatoes or something it's like yes. these variations in gender and sexuality yes. and beliefs um, yes they're also intersectional yes yes um, and I wonder if maybe in this episode it's worth covering mm. that LGBTQIA plus inclusive services mm. are great, but yes. all services need to also be aware yes. of the intersectionality because you could have yes. um, a queer young mum or yes. a trans um, patient, you know, getting a, a pathology clinic, having bloods withdrawn or like it, it's across everything. Precisely. Um, so there's just as much diversity within yes. that group as saying all straight, cisgendered, heterosexual couples Absolutely. have these particular characteristics. And that's yes. not true. That's precisely it. Absolutely. And I think it's one thing that, you know, particularly in, in queer spaces, we've seen um, a lot of work done by, you know, particularly cisgender um, gay men in history. And look in many ways we're forever indebted for the the strides they've made to be more inclusive of of queerness but that sometimes um restricts how queerness is seen in society that yeah it's not just the the gay white man um mm. that we're looking at here and yeah recognizing that um queerness exists in humanity not just within a certain culture or age or whatever else I was thinking as you were talking about that of an old episode of Will and Grace where mm. one of the characters, uh, sort of not one of the main characters, comes out as gay and then they mm. were trying to teach him how to be gay and how yes. to like dress gay and work yes. out gay and he's like, but what's that got to do with who I'm attracted to? Like, yes. like I don't care about these things. I don't want to yes. worry about interior design. Whatever the stereotypes were in the years yes. that show was kind of released is like, I just like men. Yes. I don't want to change anything about myself. Absolutely. And how that can also be stifling. And Yes, absolutely. Um, and again, it's that conceptualisation of sexuality over time as well, isn't it? That the 90s, the 2000s, and I was saying before that, you know, in the 2000s, I, I was convinced that I was gay because I'm very feminine and I'm apparently a, a man. And I, you know, of course, realised that having an attraction to men was a vital ingredient and I don't have that. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it's how we conceive of these things that, yeah, really change, it changes over time. And we've seen rapid change in this space over the last few decades, which, yeah. yeah. Which is interesting because when we talk about language, we have mm. to think about these um, mm. conceptualizations because... Yes how you dress what you wear doesn't change your doesn't necessarily change your yes. gender or your sexuality yes or vice versa and I, I remember working with a young trans boy yeah. um, in the early stages where they hadn't quite figured out how to physically yes. dress yep. 
and they they do want they did want to play with more feminine clothes because they actually had quite a fun and quirky fashion mm, sense, yes. but they felt that they couldn't do that until the HRT had an impact, yes. and then they took testosterone. So they looked Absolutely. more masculine yes. than they could wear the floral coloured shirts because yes. then no one would think they were a girl. Absolutely. But when they before they were able to make some of those hormonal transitions Absolutely. if they wore the floral shirts they got misgendered and called a girl so there was this interesting conversation we had over a number of sessions around what the labels mean and what's mm. gender expression and then what's yeah. what you would do behind closed doors versus yes. the, the the trauma or that those small micro traumas that come from being constantly misgendered but wanting Perfect. to explore fashion yes um, and that's quite difficult absolutely and We'll probably cover a bit of this in a in a future um, uh, episode. Um, we yeah, I think the 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 damage that you know misgendering and and that sort of thing, particularly when it's from that hostile space, mm. when it's and when it's consistent and constant, can be can tap into you know things like um, yeah gender dysphoria, which can be a um, very distressing experience for a lot of trans people um, and. Yeah, why we often talk about language in in LGBTIQA plus spaces to get it right. Yeah, we we've talked a lot about language, and we didn't go into the kind of too much of the one hundred ones because there are a lot of resources mm. people can look up. Yes. Um, I think Rainbow Network has some stuff. Switchboard, yes. like there are heaps of websites that will tell you Absolutely. what each one of those terms mean. Correct. What I uh, thought we could also talk about is just the importance of language and when we get it wrong as mental health services or practitioners. And this yes. came out of um, a conversation we had with a parent, actually, in one yes. of our, uh, Lachlan and I ran a joint parenting mm. workshop for the parents of um, trans kids, mostly, yeah. and using, one of the parents called us out in a, in a really, a really yeah. helpful way of yes. when you say the unsupportive parent. Yes. So we were talking about um, parents bringing, you know, a child into a counselling service for various sort of support, and then that child talking about being trans, and one parent being like, "Yep, yeah, cool, we'll get on with this," and the other saying, "Yeah, but." Yes. And I thought that was a really interesting thing to unpack a little bit is the importance of language, and we're keeping everything within the context of gender mm. and sexuality. Yes. So absolutely. we don't need to kind of go too much into how you case note. But it, yes, we yeah, will yes. in terms of this unsupportive or disengaged or uncooperative. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. What are your thoughts on like mm. that, like now that we're on it? Yes. <laughs> how do we yes. how do we change that language and what impact yes. like what impact does that do you think that has? Absolutely. I think I think one of the most important impacts is how we see parents, how we see the, the support networks of young people of older people that we're working with who are who are queer and i think um yeah it is really important to look at the intention of the support people in our clients lives um and their actions as well and being able to separate those two because sometimes there will be supportive intention um but sometimes there will be inadvertently hostile or inappropriate or whatever actions that might be occurring and 
you know, in those sorts of situations, we've got something to work with. That mm. the intentions are good, but we've got all these, you know, biases and um, mm. you know ideologies that are getting in the way of them um, turning that into a- action. Um, so that's one really important thing. And when we start to yeah see our clients in that negative light, it's yeah sometimes that can be a self fulfilling prophecy in in some ways. Um, yeah. How do you how do you work a bit with improving your language? Because we'll talk yes. about um, we'll present a case study, yes, um, and then we're also going to talk a bit around sort of parents and their experience. How mm. do we as as practitioners, as case managers in the different roles, how do mm. we start to shift that language? So let's say mm. you are running um, a, a, a counselling session and you've got a young mm. person and they've brought in their mum yeah. and it's like, well, where's dad? It's like, oh, dad doesn't mm. believe in this shit. Yes, yes. And what, yeah. how, how do you document yeah. that or how do you bring that up in supervision? Like what yes. language can you use? Yes, absolutely. And I think in those moments I, I often use you know the power of the quote because when it's coming directly from the client or parent or whoever we we get the nuance very often mm. in that um, I think that's very important also unpacking that with your client is very important as well of you know what what does not believing in that shit involve and um, you know to what depth and um, one really, really good resource that I continually come back to is the Riddle Scale of Homophobia. Um, it's yeah, easily Googleable. Uh, there's a Wikipedia Can you spell page. It? Uh, yeah, R I D D L E. Yep. Scale. Um, I find that it's very easily applicable to not just homophobia, but queerphobia generally, probably a bunch of other isms and phobias as well. Um, but it gives nuance to what brand, I suppose, of queerphobia we're looking at. Is it an acceptance, a going, yeah, I know, I know queer people exist, but not in my backyard? Or is it a, you know, there might be a fundamentalist religious overtone to it of this is a sin or whatever it might be. Understanding the nuance of that mm. is really important. And quite often you find that it's more at that acceptance level, which, yes, that can be harmful, particularly to young people, but also mm. to older people. Um, but generally, and, you know, lots of generalisations here, we've got room to move there because it's not that this is an indoctrinated or there's a, a you know, a, a history or a whatever it might be to this. It's that, oh, I don't know about this because I... I haven't come across a transgender person before or mm. whatever it might be and that over time and it's been fascinating seeing some of the particularly parents and particularly fathers that I've worked with that sometimes the most and again we're, we're going to very binary terms here the most queerphobic you know outwardly um, sometimes they will turn around within days weeks mm. um, and some will go backwards and that it's never a foregone conclusion. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I think, coming back to your question as well, um, being able to document that and to, to hold that hope for change as well is incredibly important, particularly for young people as well, that um, for their own mental health, mm. their own progression, that... Um, you know, a lot of young people will have naturally, developmentally, some cynicism around their parents. But 
yeah. And we'll definitely, I'll share some of my struggles with that in the case Mm. study that we present in another episode um, coming Mm. up. So I've got a um, a vignette based on different features of different, I've made Mm. up a beautiful fictional (laughs) client that has a lot of um, overlap Mm. between what I do see and I'll I'll just share some of my difficulties with the uh, air quote Mm. unsupportive parent. just, just to stick with the topic of language, I've got mm. two more kind of points I want to ask you is mm. why is the language important for individuals? Like what's this, mm. if, if we didn't have these binary terms and we could just kind of be, yes, that might be great. But people yes. still like to have a label. Like, yes. you know, I think about sports teams or, you yes. know, even in primus it was like you're in we had i think four different houses and colors yes. or like we we like to kind of have a label because it helps us belong yes so what do these words um these different words mean for those who hold on to them as part of their identity yes. if that question made it <laughs> makes a lot of sense and and I, I yes i love the breadth and the specificity around that as well the, that doesn't it can't be both broad and specific <laughs> well yes i know contradiction in terms sure, of but yeah. welcome to queer the queer world <laughs> and this is what you're in for for the next few weeks that's it. folks so that's it. <laughs> um i think the um now I've got to come back to the question. Sorry. The, the broad specific one. <laughs> yes, yes. It's around language yes. And, yes. And, and belonging. That's right, yes. So yes, for, and particularly for adolescent development and, and working with that age, which is where we do tend to see so much of gender and sexuality um, coming out, pun intended, um, that belonging is very important, particularly at that age. But, you know, at the ripe old age of 30-something, um, that's very true for me as well. And I think it's true for everybody um whether it's um yeah going for the cats um the only team to go for in my book um or uh, i'll just cut that out yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> recording editing <laughs> who do you go for by the I don't no fair enough, fair enough um uh, the town you live in and that sort of thing yeah. and i think we are seeing uh, i've noticed more of a, an alliance to different, um, not necessarily the town you grew up in or that sort of thing with the rise of the internet and that sort of thing and won't go too far down that rabbit hole in the breadth of that but um, belonging is incredibly important particularly when when people feel so marginalised mm-hmm. and, and othered uh, in society having that community, whatever that might look like is really important and at the same time I think, you know, we've certainly seen, um, you know, as, as we were talking before about the, the stereotypes of, of that Will and Grace um, example, that we certainly see that, you know, gay men, for example, it used to be that you had to, you know, wear leather chaps and the whole stereotype to be seen as gay. But now we're seeing every possible expression of gayness. Mm. Um, and so it should be that, you know, the way you express yourself shouldn't equal um, your sexuality, but sometimes it does. And making room and space yeah. for both of those things to be true is really important yeah. uh, in this space. And I think what you what we forget is we all change and evolve anyway. Yes. Our, our yes. fashion changes, different Absolutely. life stages change. Yes. Um, you know, I certainly don't wear what I wore. 15 years ago so exactly. if someone identifies now with a really um, what might be seen as a stereotypical kind of way of expressing their sexual 
Absolutely. That's fine. Yes. If they choose to continue to, you know, and I really hate comments where people are like, oh, they didn't look gay. It's like, how can you? Yes. There's no, I know what, <laughs> yes. I kind of know what they mean based on these yes. stereotypes, but Absolutely. it's, you can't tell someone's sexuality just by Precisely. looking at them. Yes. Um, Absolutely. And it's, I think there's also, um, you know, within community, sometimes there can be some lateral violence around that of you're not gay enough, you're not queer enough and that sort of thing, which, and I, I know that that will often come from a space of, you know, for a, you know, there's a lot of contention around the word passing, particularly in trans spaces, that that can be a highly contentious word because passing can be so fraught and so subjective mm. to each person and distressing as well, particularly yeah. if you don't pass. Um, but it can also yeah. come with privilege. Yes, I was correct. listening to an interview of a, um, of a trans man who was yes. saying he has the privilege of passing as male and yes. he found that that actually came with privilege. So yes. he became a white male. Yes. And so that elevated his privilege in a way yes. because he could socially pass. Yes. Like no one doubted that. And so he found that really difficult when talking with other trans um, folk that he worked with of their experience wasn't the same, especially if they um, socially didn't pass, which again is that contentious word. They might have been on the receiving end of more hostility or anger or violence or discrimination. And he was saying in his reflections, he went upper class of um, or upper... Privilege. Social status. Yeah. yeah. So that Absolutely. was a really interesting reflection. He was Absolutely. grappling with yes. people sort of saying, well, you don't have the same experience as me because Correct. you can pass and you've Absolutely. had the top surgery and the yes. testosterone and no one doubts that Absolutely. of you. You've grown in stature. Yes. Um, you've got a physical presence Absolutely. that's quite masculine. Yes. And at the same time, there's definitely that privilege. And I would imagine for this um, you know, hypothetical trans man, he may, when he goes to the pool, for example, go, there is no way I'm taking my shirt off because my top surgery scars will show. Yeah. When I go to the doctor, uh, depending on you know what level, level of medical transition he's gone through, there'll be tension or yeah. anxiety around that. And, it's, and I think this is why, yeah, passing can create so much tension and, and, and whatnot because, yes, there's the privilege and mm. that is, and, and for myself, I very, very often pass as a cisgender male and I can tell you now I definitely enjoy the privileges that very often come with that however it also doesn't tell my full story and my full experience Mm. at the same time and it's and I think that's particularly in our language and when we think about our language working with queer people it's making the space for both and yep it's what happens yeah it's such a rich conversation we could have so many um, more on this Absolutely. Um, and we'd love to hear what your feedback is. So if you're listening to this mm-hmm. um, and if you really enjoy it, leave a, a rating and a review. But yeah, uh, send us a message. Um, you can reach Lachlan. We'll put his uh, details in the show notes. You've got mine as well. Um, the last thing I want to ask, and this one's probably a really mm-hmm. nice way to wrap up, is mm-hmm. what do you do if you get it wrong? Yes. What if you misgender someone or you yes. get the acronyms wrong or yes. you, you know, you let it slip like yes. you know i was telling a young client who was um in early in late primary school they were talking about asexuality i'm like well it's not unusual at your age that yes. you would feel no sexual 
yes. things for anyone. They're like, Absolutely. are you telling me I'm too young to feel this? Like, yes. No. <laughs> yes, <laughs> um, exactly. Maybe. I'm not sure, yes. but... Okay, like, what happens if you get it wrong? Absolutely. What do you do? Yes. First of all, expect to get it wrong, oh. I think is the first thing. No. Um, I, I often get it wrong and I, I, you know, put myself out there as an LGBTIQA plus specialist, which is, you know, often a loaded term, but um, we all get it wrong because yep. we're human, because of the constructs that we live in. And what to do when we do inevitably get it yep. wrong is... Look, I don't want to say don't get anxious or don't get worried because, of course, you are. We all do. But being able to recognise, yep, I'm a human, I got it wrong. Mm -hmm. And as much as possible, and this takes practice, not making too much of a deal about it and not going, oh, my God, I'm so, so sorry. Oh, that's so awful. I've ruined your life. Dial it down a few notches and the simple apology of, oops, yep, I just misgendered you. I'm sorry about yeah. that. And that can be really instant, right? So it can yes. be like, oh, what oh, would yes. what would she like? Oh, sorry, they like. And yes. that, from my yes. experience working with um, individuals who identify as non-binary or trans, yes. that, you've recognised that that's enough for them, that's that it. you've corrected Yes, it. correct. How do you feel around not drawing attention in a public space? So yeah. um, if you've got it wrong in a group yes. or someone else has... You know, do you feel like it's okay afterwards to let the person know, I acknowledged what happened, I didn't yes. want to draw attention to it in the bigger group? Yeah. Was that okay for you? Like, yes, how absolutely. is that role modelling? Yes. Like, is getting it wrong, is that okay? Absolutely. I think, yeah, and I think, look, particularly in a public space, showing, it is quite often very good to be able to go, I realised just before I misgendered that person, quick correction, mm. whatever it might be, Again, not making a massive deal out of it, but also correcting. But also, yes, you're right, being able to touch base with that person because there's so many different factors that can lead to that being a very big deal or a minor deal for somebody. Um, yeah, that, you know, for me, um, not getting the right pronouns, which I don't have, that doesn't happen very often, is not a massive deal. Um, I feel great when people use they pronouns and he pronouns because I often get just he pronouns, but it's not necessarily a oof, my, my heart is breaking sort of feeling. Mm. For others it will be though. Yeah. And checking in to go, sorry about that, how are you, can be really good. Okay. Yeah. So it's okay to get it wrong Absolutely. if you correct it. Yep. And maybe we won't, don't want to touch on that perfectionism too mm. much. Um, but I think maybe that's what scares some people yes. trying is the fear of getting it wrong. So hopefully yes. over the next, I think we've got half mm. a dozen episodes on this mm. topic coming up. It gives you a little bit more confidence to have these different conversations with clients or with services or employers, workplaces, whatever. Um, Absolutely. Whatever you're, yeah, whatever is helpful. Absolutely. One quick thing I'll add on that as well, a, a workshop I did on implicit bias and ambient trauma recently was that for me, um, I, I find I'm lucky that I, I'm fairly articulate and I've got a, a, I'm able to adjust my language much quicker than the average person, I suppose. And that's a strength of mine. Mm. And I'm lucky in this space that I can adjust that quickly. That's not the same for everyone. So it's recognising your strengths. What can you do to show that you're getting it right in an area that 
is natural and easier for you and then building on the rest from there. We have a whole episode on that coming yes, up as well. absolutely. Yeah, thanks so much for this, Lachlan, our no first of many episodes on this topic. Absolutely. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Lachlan. If you're interested in doing some group supervision with Lachlan, there'll be a link in the show notes and there'll also be a few things coming up over the next few weeks relevant to different training programs and consultation availability, all that kind of fun stuff. If you like what you heard, uh, feel free to share a rating or review it'd be really great to hear what you're liking about the podcast and what other collaborations you'd like to see thank you thank you for listening i hope you enjoyed today's podcast episode the inside social work podcast would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we record this podcast today and pay our respects to elders past present and emerging thank you for listening if you would like to support the podcast you could leave a rating or a review on itunes or wherever it is you get your podcast and feel free to join the Facebook group. It'd be great to hear from you. Have a lovely day. Bye.